Uh, Today we're reading from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, Get comfortable. Uh, I want you to um, go on a little bit of imaginative journey just for a minute. So as far as the current chairs allow, get comfy. And um, it's dangerous for a preacher, but I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for this bit. And um, I want you to imagine that you're in bed at home and for some reason, um, you're the only one in your household this night. The others are away doing something else. And um, in the middle of the night, you just wake up. And it's completely dark. Not just normal dark, but completely dark. You cannot see a thing and... For some reason, you're instantly awake. And maybe you've got an alarm clock or a phone or something. You kind of fumble for it, but but nothing is functioning. There's nothing electronic in your house works. And you kind of get out of bed and you go to the window and you pull the curtains aside and you, you look out. And it's absolutely, completely dark. You can hold your hand in front of your face, but you can't see a thing. And it's unsettling and it's scary. And um, you don't know what to do, but you, you pull some clothes on and, and you get some shoes on your feet and you, you feel it's your house, so you, you can feel your way down to the front door and you open the front door and you just step outside into the street. And it's absolutely pitch dark. There's no light anywhere. And then, looking up your street, far in the distance, you can see just a tiny little speck of light. Just a tiny little speck. And that little speck of light becomes so desirable and so precious and um, you know you know where the street goes and you very very carefully kind of feeling 
the kind of the edge of the hedges and stuff, you, you walk towards the light and slowly it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And you can see that actually there's one house that has light in it. And as you get nearer, you, you see out of their front room onto the street that light is pouring out. And that room is full of candles. And you get nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and you can see other people like you kind of fumbling their way towards the light. And then as you get really near, you know, you can see again. You can see your own hands. You can see other people and you can see the outline of their faces. And kind of the fear drops off you. And, and you walk towards the light and the front doors open and, and the people in the house are giving away candles. Everyone who comes gets a candle. And um, you take a candle and very carefully, because it must not blow out, you take it home. And you open your front door and as you step across the threshold with the candle in your hand, there's a click and everything comes back on and the house is full of light. Now, if in your street you were the only Christian, then that is a picture of reality, not as other people will experience it, but as it actually is. So I'd like you to open your eyes again now. Please shake the person next to you. And I want us to come back to that passage that's called the prologue to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. And the other Gospels introduce us to Jesus with stories about his birth and genealogy, or in Mark's case with the story of John the Baptist. But John probably understood Jesus much more deeply, much more in the heart than the other 11 disciples. And um, I don't know if you've seen the Jesus film or any films like that that represent the disciples, but they're generally middle-aged, you know, grizzly a bit, you know, with the beards and kind of fishermen of the time. And I, I just wonder if that was true for John. I wonder if he might even have been a teenager you know, James's little brother. I wonder if John might have been much younger than the others. Only John was there at the cross at the end with Mary. And his gospel kind of assumes that you know the other gospel material. And he takes us back not just to Genesis chapter 1, but right back to the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John uses the image of a light shining in the darkness to introduce us to Jesus, who is the light of the world. In him was life, 
And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And God is light, so Jesus is also light. He's beautiful and desirable and wonderful and amazing and precious beyond description. And right from the start, John sets up the contrast between the light and the darkness. We only experience light the way we do because there is darkness as well. You know, otherwise, it would be like fish experiencing water. That, you know, they don't really because water is just there. Or like us experiencing air. We don't really experience air because as long as we're alive, we're breathing. It's not, we don't contrast air with no air. But we do contrast light with darkness. So John sets up this contrast. There's the light and then there's the darkness. And the light shines in the darkness, but the light is stronger. The the darkness can never overcome it. There is is no dialogue between light and darkness. You, You do not, when you turn on the light in your living room in the evening, witness a couple of minutes furious struggle between the light and the darkness as the light bulb struggles to dominate the rest of the room. It's just not like that. There's a sense in which darkness is nothing more than absence of light. By its its very nature, the light destroys the darkness. It's not something the light particularly chooses to do, or it's just what light does. There is no darkness where there is light. And John makes it very clear that we are in the darkness. It might not be how we perceive ourselves, but we are in the darkness, and yet we are not without hope. The the gospel takes us back to the very beginning where we know we are made in God's image, where we hear that's true of us, even though we are wounded by the fall, even though the experience of breaking our covenant with God and losing the garden, sort of multiplied down the generations, has kind of wounded every one of us. It's kind of, it's twisted us, twisted the image of God in us. We, we carry scars because of that. But we have hope. Because God continues to love us and to want us. And he's been pursuing us down the ages. And now, Jesus, the eternal light, steps out of heaven and into human history. He's publicly introduced by John the Baptist, but the story was never about John. John the Baptist is there to make the introduction. He is the dating agency. That's what John the Baptist is. Humanity... This is the eternal light. Eternal light. This is humanity. I recommend an immediate dinner date. Jesus came in a form that is accessible to us, that would not destroy us just by its brightness. Jesus could not come as he is in heaven. It would be overwhelming, it would be terrifying. We couldn't get anywhere near. Not just accessible, 
but completely vulnerable in a form where we could do anything we wanted to him, and we did. And Jesus' light was not recognised or welcomed by the powers that be. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And the world here means the power structures of society and what lies behind them. They didn't want Jesus. You know, the demons definitely didn't want Jesus. And we're made in his image, but we didn't want him either. And through the pages of the New Testament, we can see the mental gymnastics of the people in power as they try to find a reason not to like Jesus because he doesn't walk in their way and he won't give them credibility and he won't collude with them and he won't leave them in their place. So he's a massive threat. And, you know, they try and they find a few things they can pick up kind of on the edges of Jewish belief and practice, like whether it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, but, but there you are. And stuff like that. But in the end, in front of Pilate, they have to come clean. I mean, they have to admit what it really is, because Pilate isn't going to execute anybody for healing on a Sabbath. And so they have to come clean and say it's because he claims to be the Messiah. It's because he claims to be the light of the world. It's because he claims to be king. And it's the same now. Jesus gets exactly the same reaction today as he got then. The powers that be didn't want him then. They don't want him now. But to anybody who will open the door just a crack, to anybody who will just begin to welcome Jesus, he gave the right to become a child of God. Now that's strong language, isn't it? The right to be a child of God. That's very strong language. Anyone who welcomes him has the right to become a child of God. Light reveals things as they are rather than as we might like them to be or as we might want to pretend that they are. Light shows what's really there. Light shows what God is like and light shows what we are like in kind of all our complicated mess with the image of God on the one side and then the kind of twistedness of of human ugliness as its worst on the other, kind of all mixed up in every single one of us. The light shows what's really there. Light also shows us what's not there. And if you ever had night terror as a child, you'll know how important it is to know what's not there. When you wake up in your bed and you see that snake poised to strike and you fumble for some light and it turns out to be your desk lamp, or you see that monster and it turns out to be the chair with um, clothes on it and um, 
We can smile about it maybe now, but if you think back to being a child, it's not funny at all. It's not funny at all. And um, if, if your child does have night terrors, or your grandchild, or your, your nephew, or any child you know and care about, I would encourage you to ask God for a particular image and tell the child of that image of Jesus with them protecting. You know, it could be the Lion of Judah. It could be something like, you know, God sitting by their bed and he's, he's the Lion of Judah. Um, but ask God because he knows the child's heart and the child's imagination. And he will give you, if you ask him, an image of Jesus being with that child to protect them. Night, night terrors are not funny. And for lots of people, not even when they've grown up. Knowing what's not there is really important. Knowing that the enemy is much smaller than God is really important. Knowing that you have the right to be a child of God. It's not just an invitation or a possibility or something like that. You have the right to be a child of God if you welcome Jesus and it takes humility and courage to come to the light it it takes humility and courage to let the light shine on you and show you some of the stuff that's there that you wish wasn't there and how much you need God's grace and his forgiveness the light challenges our pride and our independence in fact it makes pride and independence completely impossible. Now, the light gives us a choice. If you can see, you can choose. If you only know the darkness, then you can't choose the light. And we've been thinking about being a follower of Jesus in the workplace over the last few Sundays. Uh, I shared a little bit with you about my story three weeks ago and last Sunday Katie and Sandy shared some of their story, it was great we are definitely not the light of the world I mean we really aren't I'm sorry if I've spoiled anybody's Sunday but, but we are not the light of the world but we carry the light we carry the light because The spirit of Jesus lives in us and like Jesus, his spirit is light to the world. A a bit like treasure in a cracked jar, which is a, a New Testament image. We carry the light of the world, but we we can choose how transparent we want to let it be. If you put up the next slide, that'd be great. Thank you. So we we can choose how transparent we want to be. The powers that be did not want Jesus then and they don't want him now. And we're not naive about this. We're under no illusions. We don't think that because, you know, we have Forge and Restore and we we do food banks and youth groups for kids on the estates, everybody's going to love us. We know that's not true. We'll get the same reaction Jesus got. That's what he said. As they've done to me, they will do the same to you. Sometimes they'll love you. Sometimes they'll hate you. But the favour, 
of the kind of powers that be should never be on our agenda. We're not going to have it. They didn't want Jesus then. They don't want him now. But at the same time, there are so many people that are hungry for the light. Jesus said the harvest is huge. There are so many people who are hungry for the light. People who, if they had a chance, would welcome Jesus as you have welcomed him and would also have the right to be a child of God. So I want to ask you how transparent you are about the light that's in you. If you look at that jar, it's not particularly transparent. I mean, you can see something. But if you put the next slide up, that's the same jar from a slightly different angle. And there's, there's no mistaking what's in it. When you are at work, or anywhere else, if you're not in the workplace, it's basically the same deal everywhere. And when you are at work, how transparent are you about the light that's in you? Because my impression is that we Christians are a pretty defended lot because we know that the powers that be don't want Jesus. When someone asks you something about yourself or when you talk about your kind of life and your motivations and what moves you and what you want, when someone else makes a comment, how transparent are you about yourself? You Notice I did not ask you how pushy you were. How transparent are you about the light that's in you? Because we... We have so many choices, don't we, when we're out there to not say the obvious thing because it won't go down very well. But the thing about it is we're not responsible for what people do with it. That's the thing about light. You're not responsible for what other people do with it. You're just responsible to be transparent. And I want to encourage you Because Christmas is just such an easy time to be transparent because a lot of people really like Christmas. You know, they know there's something else there apart from the kind of family thing and the presents. There is a spirituality still around Christmas which is warm to Jesus and the things of the Spirit. Christmas is an easy time to practice transparency because that's what it comes down to. Like so much in the world of following Jesus, you can over-spiritualize this stuff. It's not all about you and making a decision this morning. A lot of it is simply about practice and training yourself to be more transparent. If you're not very transparent, do not go on a guilt trip. Make up your mind to do some training, just as if you are very unfit this morning. Do not go into a guilt trip about it. Make a plan to do some exercise. Do some training. If you're already transparent, what's the next step? You know, are you, you know, are 
Are you a ready tool in Jesus' hand? Do you need someone else to help you? What's the next step? How can you train yourself in transparency? And one of the best ways to train yourself is to involve somebody else. That's why all the sports have trainers and coaches, because you don't really get very far on your own. Have someone who will help you. Someone you trust. You say, you know what, I'm not very transparent at work. I realised, you know, at church this morning, I realised I'm actually quite defended. I protect myself at work. I'm, you know, I'm like the first jar. People can maybe see a little bit, but, you know, they could easily mistake it. I'd like to be more transparent. And here's what I'm thinking of doing. Can you ask me in a week's time whether I did that or not and how I got on? And, you know, if I did do it, was there a horrible silence and I wished the ground would... Or did, you know, how did it feel? How did I do? Because the chances are, as we start to be a bit more transparent, we might not be very good at it at first. You might say too much or too little or kind of you know, have too much like that and the kind of emotional kind of baggage comes across with whatever it is we wanted to say instead of it just being a natural thing as much as if we were talking about a sport that we love, which is kind of the goal. You know, as we look at the transformation of our city, us not being defended but choosing to be transparent when we're out there would make an incredible... Of all the things that would change this city, God's people deciding to live bold, transparent lives is maybe the thing that would make more difference than anything else, in my opinion. No guilt. You you would do this because you love Jesus, not for any other reason. Don't do it for any other reason. And I've talked about workplace, but it's the same deal in any context. It's the same deal with family. I think it's even harder in family than at work because you've got so much history and there's often so much baggage. But it's the same deal everywhere. It's, it's about being transparent. It's not about pushing anything on anybody. It's just about not defending ourselves and letting what we do, what we think, what our motivations are, how we feel, what our life's about, what's important to us and what isn't, come out of us in just the same way as it would if we were talking about sports or if you are an iPhone enthusiast or whatever it is that you love to do. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us for boldness And that in the time leading up to Christmas, every one of us takes a step towards living more transparently than we do today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And so so that this doesn't just stay in the realm of good intention, I'm going to ask God to put something, the Holy Spirit, to put a context into you or a person into your mind, could be a colleague, could, could be anyone. Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now and identify to me 
someone you want me to be more transparent with. God, would you give us boldness, an unstressed, unstriving, full of love, boldness that just takes delight in letting out your light to people who walk in darkness and they don't know it. Would you breathe over us? Do you give us courage? Courage to be accountable. Courage to take the step. And God, may every one of us who said yes in our hearts to that see something shift before Christmas. Something that is you in that person. Thank you, Lord.